0: Father, we worship your holy name. We thank you that you've given us good news. And Lord, all of your word is good news. And as we now sit to listen, your word read and preached to us, may your good news bless us all the more. May you prepare our hearts to receive your good news. May it uh, change us all the more for your glory and equip us to follow Jesus more and more every single day.
1: Amen. Reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. "'Isn't this Joseph's son?' they asked. Jesus said to them, "'Surely you will quote this proverb to me, "'Physician, heal yourself, "'and you will tell me, "'do here in your hometown what we have heard "'that you did in Capernaum.' "'Truly I tell you,' he continued, "'no prophet is accepted in his hometown.'" All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way.
0: And uh, good day, everyone. Great to be here and to see you all this morning. Uh, we will get to that um, passage in just a moment. I wanted to share some news, though, um, some sad news that uh, we heard over the weekend. On Friday, um, Rhea Van Loon passed away. Now, Rhea has been with us just for a short time, but uh, Tim and Tracy, um, uh, um, uh, Tim is uh, Rhea's son, he's been here for a long time, and, uh, and Brian and Ingrid. Uh, are here with us today as well, and uh, we uh, are saddened by the news of Ria's passing, um, but we are deeply thankful that she knew the hope of the gospel and is with Jesus now, and so we grieve and with you and are uh, comforted with you as well. We, we pray, Please pray for uh, the Van Loon and um, Vartstra families uh, as they um, uh, re- respond to that, and uh, so let, let me just pray for them now, and then we'll get into the passage. Uh, Gracious God, we thank you so much for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for Rhea, that she knew you and she knew the hope of Jesus. Thank you for the short time she was part of our church family here. Uh, Our God, we pray that you might please comfort the family and strengthen them in this time. We thank you because of Jesus. We can know for sure, we can know with certainty uh, that Rhea is now at home with you and welcomed into your arms and we thank you for that great hope. Please open each of our eyes just a little bit more and our hearts and our minds to see and to receive and to live in that great hope this day. And uh, we pray that you'll do that now by your spirit. We depend upon you. We ask by your spirit, please, that you might be at work in each of us today and right now. And we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are thinking about good news today. Good news. Uh, when I wonder when the last time you heard news that was just so good, that really thrilled your heart. Maybe you think of uh, a child being born or something like that or, uh, you know, news that just felt so good, you know, you wanted to sing or dance because of it. Um, I really love this photo. I think I've shown it before. Um, it's I just really love the photo. It's a photo of a man take, dancing in the streets in Sydney. And you know uh, why he's dancing? Anyone yeah, yeah, that's right, the end of World War II. Uh, and uh, it's just such a beautiful photo, isn't it? You get the sense of joy and relief that just swept over people and uh, when they heard that news of victory, when they heard that news that the war was over. Uh, but that kind of news that gives you that kind of thrill and relief and joy, it's all too rare, isn't it? Um, we know that personally, We're, we, when we hear painful news, uh, that unexpected phone call or that diagnosis. We know it on a broader scale too, though. Our news cycle, you, I mean, you know the news cycle has far more bad news than good, right? I heard this um, mantra during the week, if it bleeds, it leads. That's sort of what d- drives the news, doesn't it? Like that's, uh, I checked out the ABC headlines on Friday uh, this was the headlines on the ABC uh, website. Were they had car companies exploiting customer data, a potential deadly virus carried in bats, a story about an assault victim. Uh, there was a, a there was one sort of human interest story about twin sisters giving birth within minutes of each other. So, um, but that that was kind of about it for good news <laughs> um, on uh, at that moment. Of course, there's other times, but. But, but, and even the best news we hear, isn't it, uh, is, is temporary, though. When we do get, I mean, uh, the end of World War II was not the end of war. Um, our world knows that now as much as ever. Our hearts long for that kind of good news. We long for it, don't we? <clears throat> but it seems in such short supply. It seems in such short supply. Uh, but here's the thing, one of the most common ways the Bible talks about Jesus and what he's done is this idea of good news. It came up in the passage, you would have seen it as we read through it. Um, we're reading together through Luke's Gospel this term, if you're just dropping in today and visiting. Um, and that that word, Gospel, that, that word, the, uh, Luke's Gospel, you've got four Gospels, that, the word is the, actually the same word, it just means Good news, but not the kind of cutesy human interest story kind of good news that you just hear and you think, oh, that's nice, and then you move on with life. Like That's not the good news that this good news is. Um, this is more like end of World War II good news. <laughs> uh, the announcement of an incredible victory of, that comes after long struggle and suffering An announcement of news that thrills your heart and makes you sing. That's the kind of good news uh, that Jesus brings. Because the thing about his good news is it doesn't fade. It's eternal. It's a victory that has been won and is available for all people in all places at all times. It is the best news ever. Well, let's just catch up to where we're up to in Luke's Gospel. Last week, if you are here with us last week, you would have seen um, that Luke has put together this carefully researched and orderly accounts of the things that were fulfilled among them. The first few chapters, um, uh, if you're doing that reading program, I think we've got more copies of it out there if you want a physical copy. Uh, I did put a digital copy on our Facebook page. Maybe we can send it around in the email as well. It would be really good to do the reading program so you read through the whole of Luke's gospel over this term. We're just taking selected parts. But if you're doing that, you would have seen those first chapters of Luke really focus on Jesus and his cousin John um, and their parents. Uh, you saw how you, you see how John is preparing the way for Jesus, who would be the Lord come to save his people. And, and you, as you read through those chapters, you notice how the Holy Spirit is so prominent. He overshadows Mary, he fills John's father and that old prophet Simeon that we looked at on Christmas Day. Um, And then John baptizes Jesus in chapter 3. That's this amazing moment as the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and God the Father declares from heaven, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. So you get this right from the start of Jesus' public life. You see the the three persons of the Trinity all at work uh, what Jesus is doing is his Father's plan in the power of his spirits. That's how it has been from all eternity. But here, the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit is powerfully at work. Um, at the start of chapter 4, that relationship gets tested by Satan, but Jesus passed, passes the test. And then, then we read this. He, he goes out, his fame spreads. Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So you get the picture, right? Jesus is travelling around Galilee. Um, he's it, now's the moments for him to sort of go public. He's teaching in the synagogues. A synagogue is just like uh, it's like church for the Jewish people of the time. A weekly gathering to hear God's word and sing the psalms and pray. Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? You, did you pick that up as we read through? It was Jesus' custom to go to synagogue. Uh, he, every week, every Saturday, that was the Old Testament uh, day of Sabbath. Um, so that was his custom. Uh, but Luke focuses in on one of those synagogue visits, and, and he puts it right at the start of his Gospel uh, when Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. So you can imagine the scene, right? Right? So this is Jesus' hometown, and he comes to Nazareth. So the local boy, he, he's sort of getting known around the place. He's making a name for himself. He's getting a bit famous. He comes home to the synagogue, and he stands up, and, he, and someone hands him the, a scroll. A scroll. Their scriptures weren't bound together in a book like ours. They had a, a collection of scrolls, lovingly, painstakingly hand-copied uh, so he gets he gets handed the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls it and he finds he, he finds this place. He goes directly to this place, what we call Isaiah 61. He goes there intentionally. This is the moment that Jesus has chosen to make an incredible statement. It's like his inaugural speech. You know, inaugural speeches, history is sort of filled with these great speeches that launch someone's. Um, career or their vision for something Uh, they lay out their program in their speech but there's never been an inaugural speech like this so jesus finds the spot he wants and let's we'll read on from um, from verse 18 this is what he reads the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners And recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. They are beautiful words, aren't they? And they would have been really well known words to the people of the time. Uh, They would have been read out many times in the synagogue, again and again. They would have been treasured. They were. They were. They sort of encapsulated the great hope. Of God's people. And see those descriptions up there? The 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 poor, the blind, the prisoners, the oppressed. It's not kind of talking about four distinct different groups. They're they're just different ways of talking about the same group. They, They capture the longing of God's people, Israel, who in many times and many ways were poor, captive, blind, oppressed. Isaiah is writing words of comfort to God's people in exile. Uh, they were under foreign rule. They'd been brutally forced out of their, their land by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. The thing was, they were in that situation because actually of a deeper oppression. A strong, there was a stronger prison that they were in. As you read through the, the kind of accounts in the Old Testament, you find they were actually in exile because of their own sin, their constant rejection of God and his purposes. That was kind of like their, that was their real poverty, if you like. But God didn't give up on his plan. Uh, so through Isaiah and his other prophets, he kept pointing towards this future hope, a coming day when he'll make everything right. And especially that hope focuses in on this one person, the one Isaiah calls the servant of the Lord who would deal with his people's sin, that deeper problem, and he'd set the captives free. So you can imagine it, right? Week after week, year after year, decade after decade, they're reading this hope. Someone's coming. Somebody's coming. This this one will come. Um, Even after... Uh, the people of Israel did return to the land and did come back from exile. It was never really the, the kind of rich blessing that Isaiah spoke of. Uh, by the time Jesus had come, they, the people were under foreign rule of the Roman Empire. So they were still waiting for the fullness of God's promise. And so Jesus chooses this passage. And then in verse 20, he rolls up the scroll gives it back to the attendant and sits down. Now that's not, he. he it doesn't mean there um, he sat down sort of back with everyone else in the congregation. The, the, the There would be a seat where the teacher would sit. That was kind of their custom. So that's what you meant to sort of uh, clue onto there. He's sitting down so that he might give his sermon, basically. And and you read there, the eyes of everyone, as fastened, it's a really strong word, it's fastened on him, like they're kind of Transfixed, what's he going to say? You could hear a pin drop. What's this upcoming local boy going to say about Isaiah's words? And then, verse 21, he begins by saying this to them. I mean, what a sermon, right? Like, a one-sentence sermon. Don't get your hopes up. No, no. uh, uh, what What does Jesus say? Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. They've heard this passage many times. They've heard it read. They've probably heard it taught on. But they've never heard that. Jesus says, today, in me, right now, this great hope... The hope of Israel, the hope of the world is fulfilled. I am God's spirit-filled servant, God's anointed Messiah. I am the one who will set you free, heal your blindness, who proclaims good news to you poor. I am bringing about the year of God's favor. Nothing that ever heard is anything like that. And so you can sort of get, I imagine they're a bit dazzled at this point. They're kind of... Uh, the people are gathered, they're hearing this. Uh, in verse 22, it says, They all spoke well of him, that they were amazed at the gracious words coming from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? They're trying to figure him out. Earlier on, everyone was praising him. Here, they're amazed, and you kind of sense they're maybe a bit confused, like, what's going on? This is this is the local lad. They knew Jesus as a kid. It's hard to believe uh, that someone you've seen crawling around in nappies is God's prophet that you need to listen to, let alone the central figure in all history? Like, So you can see they're, they're kind of a bit confused. But look at, but look at the end of Jesus' sermon. Flick down to verse 28 and notice the change that comes over them. So they've gone on this progression, right, from praise to you know, amazement, curiosity. Verse 28, uh, they end up being filled with murderous rage and then they drag him off to a cliff to throw him off. I mean, imagine it, right? Imagine, I won't put myself in a position, imagine a visiting preacher comes, and what he says enrages us so much that we you know, pick up the chairs and start throwing it, we grab him, we take him to one of our cars, and we go in convoy to the Waipinga Cliffs to, to kind of <laughs> th- throw him off, because it, it, what he said has so enraged us. What a scene. <laughs> I mean, but... But they—they they don't. I mean, they don't kill Jesus. You can see that. They—it's um, it, not his time yet. With amazing authority, he just walks right through them and on his way. But what was it he said that caused such a a, a switch? <laughs> that brought about such rage. That got, got how could such good news get such a violent reaction? Well, Jesus goes right to their hearts. And I think the issue that he zones in on is, who is this good news for? Who are these poor, these prisoners, these oppressed and blind people that Jesus has come for? He's already said some amazing, even outrageous stuff. He's made incredible claims about who he is. But it's not until he gets to this point that they really get enraged. He keeps going. He says in verse 23, you might be amazed at what I'm saying, you might be curious, but... He kind of, he says, you don't actually really believe what I'm telling you, what I'm saying, who I am. Um, And here's how I know that. You'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Uh, Trying to figure out what that means is a little bit hard, but I think it's probably explained actually by Jesus' next words. Um, Do here in your own hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. In other words, I think they're saying, prove yourself to us, Jesus, perform for us, show us a miracle, and then we might believe you. Uh, It's the same attitude for many today, we uh, we won't believe unless you prove yourself to me, unless you fix up my life, unless I get that job, or that you heal me in that way, or do some other thing for me, then maybe I'll believe. But Jesus isn't like a performing, he's not a circus kind of performer, right? He's uh, and he doesn't sort of buy into that. And instead, what does he do? Um, he tells these two stories from the Old Testament. He tells these sto- about two times God's prophet was sent to, to people to help them, uh, to this widow in Zarephath and this guy called Naaman, the, the, uh, the Syrian. And the key thing about these guys, did you notice as we read through, the key thing about them is that they were outsiders, they weren't the ones that you would expect to get God's blessing. They weren't. They weren't even part of God's people, Israel. So they were. They're the. They were the, the poor in a way. Like they're, they're poor in different ways. The widow was literally poor. Um, you read the story back in One Kings. It's an incredible story. Um, she, she was about to die of starvation. And Elijah goes to her. And Naaman was rich. He was an impressive, important general. But he had this terrible skin disease. But he needed to be humbled to see his true poverty before God. And again, if you know the story, um, he does humble himself and receive God's healing. You can read about that in 1 and 2 Kings. But you see what Jesus is doing here. He has come in fulfillment of the great hopes of Israel and But by telling these stories here, he's showing that this fulfillment is going to overflow to the nations, to the whole world, to the unexpected people. In his, this new age, this kingdom of God that he's bringing about, God's blessings are not going to be restricted to one place or one people. They'll be for everyone who comes to Jesus and, and those people, Jews and Gentiles alike, uh, who are now what Paul calls the true Israel of God, uh, the people of God's Messiah, his anointed king. It gets kind of even more pointy though, doesn't it? In fact, his own people here in Nazareth, um, it, you kind of read between the lines and why they get so upset. They're the ones who are actually going to miss out, Jesus is saying, because of their pride. They don't see their true poverty without him. They don't accept him. They won't receive the good news he's bringing. Anyway, there's a lot there, but it's, it's kind of, you get the, the sense of why they're so enraged by what Jesus says. And can you see the big point? Jesus is showing that the good news he brings, the freedom and sight he gives, is for all people. There is no one too far from God's grace except those who think they don't need it. Um, it It's a terrible thing to be poor and imprisoned and blind and oppressed. It's interesting, isn't it? As you read through the Gospels, on the whole, it was the poor and the oppressed who kind of flocked to him, were drawn to him. He healed the blind. He set oppressed people free. We'll see this as we read through Luke. Luke. When he does those things, he he uses it kind of as a sign pointing towards a deeper oppression, a a darker blindness. It was the same with God's people in the Old Testament. Um, Their real oppressor wasn't Assyria or Babylon, but their sin, uh, sin, death, and the devil, the, the real oppressor of all of us. So, friends, I just want to kind of draw some threads together by asking, how can, how can you hear this message of Jesus? Not just as a nice story, not even as a bit of inspirational teaching, but as thrilling news. The best news you've ever heard. Well, one thing that this passage is bringing out to us is, you need to realize that you too are poor and captive and blind and oppressed and that you need Jesus. Uh, It's possible, it's very possible to be physically rich, free, healthy, but to be poor and blind and oppressed in the things that really matter. Um, There's this striking moment in the book of Revelation, the reason Jesus is giving these messages to his churches. And to one of them, he says this in Revelation 3, verse 17. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. So maybe, maybe you need to hear that this day. Do you realize how it, that in yourself, how poor you are in the things that really matter? Um, in self-forgetful love, in joy and peace, in patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do you realize how in your own power, how enslaved you are? to your own passions and lusts uh, or to the grip of the opinions of people around you? Do you realise how blind you are, how little you see? Do you see what's going on here? It's, It's to those people that this message comes as the best news ever. The most liberating and wonderful. It's to those people who see that. But there's something else going on here that I just want to briefly highlight. Our, our poverty goes even deeper than that. And it's helpful, it's good for us to, to, to see this. See, the, the careful listener in the synagogue would have noticed something strange about Jesus' quote from Isaiah. Um He finishes off this quote from Isaiah and he actually stops halfway through a sentence. Uh, so back in Isaiah 61 where this is, um, I forgot to put it on the screen, sorry about that, but you can flick to it in your, in your Bibles or so look at it later. But in Isaiah 61, the, the sentence actually keeps going. Uh, this promised one would proclaim the year of God's favour, but then it, then it keeps going, and the day of vengeance of our God. The, the year of God's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. See, so God promised a time when his favour would come on his people, but his vengeance would come on his enemies. But here, in this important sort of inaugural speech of Jesus, see what Jesus does? He only mentions this year of God's favour. You see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus splits Isaiah's vision into two. Jesus is God come to save, to bring about his favor. Not at this point, his vengeance. And, and to bring his favor to all people, to anyone who will come to him, not just one people in one time, in one place. To open up God's blessing to the world. And how can he do this? How can Jesus offer God's favor to the world, but not his vengeance? And here it is, friends. This is, this is just the best news ever, because he takes that vengeance on himself. That's how Jesus does it. That's how Jesus does it. He takes that vengeance for you on himself, in your place. That's why this is good news That's why, if you come to Jesus and trust Him, you can say, I am now living in the year of God's favour. God's favour rests on me. Because a few years after this, in His own death on the cross, Jesus took your day of vengeance on Himself. there is still a coming day of vengeance that the Bible talks about, the New Testament speaks of, Jesus speaks of. Uh, God loves his world too much to let it continue on forever in its rebellion and brokenness, in its oppression and its blindness. Jesus will return as judge to wipe away all evil. And on that day, all who haven't accepted his forgiveness will tragically be swept up in that judgment. And there won't be anything that you can offer God on that day in yourself. That's when you will see the true depths of your real poverty. Um, Your spiritual blindness will be exposed. But today, in your hearing, This is the year of God's favour. And for those who come, for the humble, for those who see their poverty now and come to Jesus, that really is incredible and thrilling good news. Jesus has taken the wrath of God for you on himself, fully once and for all. He has brought you into his kingdom to set you free and give you sights. So friends, I want to ask, have you received this good news yourself, personally? And if you haven't, what's stopping you? What's holding you back? Uh, maybe you think you're a good person, and all in all, and you don't really need a saviour. Jesus says, you're blind and he wants to give you sight. You're a captive and he wants to give you release and peace and life. He wants to set your heart dancing. And maybe your feet too. If you. But you're going to have to come humbly. That's the only way. You're going to have to come humbly. Maybe you think you're, you're too good. And maybe you think you're too bad. Maybe you've done things that you think could never be forgiven. You are not too bad. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, His arms are open for you. There is no debt his blood doesn't pay. So come to him. Do it today. Today, in your hearing, (laughs) this hope is available and is made available to you. This day of God's favor. Don't put it off. But, uh, friends, maybe you have received Jesus and his good news. It is so helpful, isn't it, to just be reminded again of how good this news really is. How good it is. God came to you in your poverty and filled you up with endless eternal riches through Jesus He has set you free and has given you his spirit. And he wants you to join him in proclaiming his good news to poor sinners everywhere. Um, The only way you'll do that with a joyful heart and not kind of fearfully or manipulatively is if you know it as good news yourself. Sharing the gospel isn't trying to argue someone to Jesus or force them to believe something terrible. Um, It's more just like one, one beggar sharing with other beggars where to find the bread of life. Because that's what you are if you're in Christ. You're not a moral crusader. You're not a judge. You're not sharing some secret you found because you're so impressive. You're just a beggar, a pauper, same as everyone else who has found inexhaustible riches in Jesus. And that is that's good news. It is the best news ever. Let's pray. Our God, we pray by the powerful working of your spirit, you might break down those barriers within each of us that stop us from receiving your gospel as for what it is such wonderful, blindingly joyful good news. Set our hearts to rejoice in and sing about what you have done for us, we pray. Open our minds so that we might see your glory in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our pride. Keep us from that kind of arrogance that thinks we don't need Jesus. Help us to see the truth about our state before you, but not to stay there, but to move from that to receive your wonderful, wonderful news. And then give us that joy and grace to pass that on to those who will hear it. We pray that many will come under the sound of this good news and receive it and receive life and hope and peace and joy. And we pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.